0: Feel free to set them out, however you want to do. This morning I'm going to be continuing a series that we're doing that goes through the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians that the Apostle Paul writes to the region of Galatia. Not one church in particular, but several churches in the region around Galatia. And we're working through that, And, and today that we're going to be looking at that, that we are about halfway through chapter 3 as we get through that. And, and it deals with covenant, is what we're going to be talking about. So, so before we read those words, maybe a little something that helps remind us of covenant. What covenant is, what covenant means. It, it's one of those words that always oh, comes up in church every now and then, and we hear about that. We know that our God is a God of covenant, that he makes covenant with us. But sometimes maybe we hear that so much or in so many different ways that that we don't quite catch the meaning or understand. What does it mean when we talk about covenant with God? So a way to introduce introduce that that maybe will help this passage to make a little more sense. Thinking about covenant in a way that helps make sense because covenant means almost the same thing in the Bible— as it would in our world in other ways that we use that yet today, if you think about that. So we have covenants in our world yet today, too. Covenant, then, being an arrangement, an agreement, which which spells out two things, expectations and accountability. Covenants spell out expectation and accountability. And we do that in our world around us in a variety of ways, if you think about that. Before moving back here to Michigan, I used to live in a neighborhood that had a neighborhood covenant. So when I lived in Highlands Ranch, there was a covenant for the neighborhood. Sometimes we call those homeowners associations, right? So there were a list of expectations and accountability for everyone who lives in the neighborhood of Highlands Ranch in Colorado. And some of those things were were there so that we knew, we all knew, everyone in the neighborhood knew what our expectations were. But there was also accountability to keep everyone within those expectations. And it was a variety of rules. But but for example, one of them was, I could not have my camper parked out in front of my house for more than 72 hours. So if I needed to do something, work on that, prep it to go on a, a vacation trip or something like that, Once it's parked in front of my house, it's got 72 hours to be there and then it needs to be moved again. And, all right, I admit, it seems like there's always this one overzealous person in every neighborhood like that where 24 hours later there's a notice stuck on my door from the Homeowners Association reminding me, you've got 72 hours. Maybe just that neighbor's way of telling me your camper is ugly, um, (laughs) which, okay, it's not that great looking. But, but, There's an expectation there and an accountability there for a reason. The reason being, in Highlands Ranch, uh, the the lot sizes are very small, so you don't have a long driveway, you don't have a lot of street frontage, and a lot of people there have an RV or a boat or ATVs or a utility trailer. If every single one of us were to store those things in front of our houses, sidewalks would be blocked, streets would be blocked off to only one-way traffic, It would not be safe for children to be riding bikes up and down and around with all those things parked in the way. So there's a reason. A reason why we create covenant. Something that establishes expectation and accountability. And it happens in the Bible, too. Covenant with expectation and accountability. Let's read about that today. So these are words that come from Galatians 3, We're about halfway through the chapter, so that's where I'm picking it up at verse 15. Galatians 3.15 says this. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this the law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with its promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why, then, was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through the angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So covenant. As we trace that through this passage, I'm going to trace that for us in ways that that the Apostle Paul makes three different applications of this covenant. Three different associations of how covenant takes place as we see it in this passage. First of all, we notice that he talks about Abraham. That there is a connection here between the covenant and Abraham. Abraham. This has to bring us back to Genesis where we read those stories about when God first came to Abraham and made covenant with Abraham and what that covenant was about. When God first came to Abraham back in Genesis, God came with promises, covenant, expectation. But it was all one-sided. All one-sided in that God said, Abraham, here is what I'm going to do for you. Here is what I will do as my part of this covenant. And that included things like uh, he told Abraham, You go to this land because I'm going to give you land. Part of it will be an inheritance of land. Part of it then will be a family, that you will be a great nation and increase and multiply in that way, and that his family would become a great nation. And then part of it would be that all nations and all people of the world would be blessed through the descendants of Abraham. So the covenant with Abraham came with with those three areas about it, but they were three areas in which God does all of the giving and Abraham does all of the receiving, right? The expectation there is an expectation of what God will do. And the accountability is entirely upon God as well. So what's Abraham's part in this? Well, Abraham's part was simply believe it. Have faith that what God came and said he would do that God will do. Abraham's piece of this covenant was to accept it in faith. Simply believe what God told him. If you can imagine something like that, Abraham, who who didn't know who this God was, had never met him before, had never heard about him, simply receives this vision from God one day that says, I want you to pack up and take everything you own and move to someplace else. Live as a foreign immigrant there, because I'm going to give that land to you. Abraham, the one who's old and has no children of your own, I'm going to give you kids and make you a great family and the whole world will be blessed through your descendants. Abraham, your part, simply believe it. Have faith in it. The Bible explains that for us in ways, though, that that makes that clear. Clear that even though God comes with this unconditional promise that he makes to Abraham, that Abraham still responds to that covenant in faith. And we have stories about that, right? The way that Abraham's faith shows up that when God tells Abraham, go to a different land because I'm going to give it to you, he goes. He does that. He's obedient to that because he believes it, because he has faith. In fact, Abraham's faith is so strong that, that he is willing to lose his one and only son because of his dedication to God and his love for God. Ultimately, that doesn't happen his son Isaac is not lost or sacrificed, but, but it's a story that's included that shows us the dedication of Abraham's faith. And it's a story that shows us pointing ahead to the God, the Father, who would lose his one and only son because of his love for us as people. A demonstration then that we see this covenant arrangement that takes place all the way back in the Old Testament with Abraham. The Apostle Paul is bringing that up. He's drawing that in here. So when he talks about Abraham and brings up the name Abraham, all of those details of that story should come flooding into this that we remember. Oh yeah, that arrangement that God made with Abraham unconditionally to do those things for Abraham and all Abraham had to do was believe, have faith. That covenant then also carries down, because it's a covenant that wasn't just for Abraham, but it passed on to his descendants, right? It went on through his children, that the children of Abraham, who became the nation of Israel, also lived within this covenant, within this promise. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about that, right? He talks about how that was the covenant arrangement from the time of Abraham, for 430 years until the next covenant came along. And that's where he goes next. So after 430 years, then he talks about the law. The law, we understand, is a covenant that comes through Moses. Now it's a little bit different. So when Moses comes along in Exodus, and God tells Moses, bring the people out of Egypt where they are slaves, and then they come out of Egypt after the ten plagues and all of that story, and they come to Mount Sinai, and then it is at Mount Sinai where God gives to Moses the law, the rules. What we probably famously know as the Ten Commandments, But in addition to the Ten Commandments, if you read the last half of the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus, you find all kinds of rules and commandments that go there. And now the covenant is a little bit different. It's a little bit different because the expectation goes both ways. It's not the same exactly as the covenant with Abraham. The covenant with Abraham, remember, God says, Abraham, I'm going to do these things for you, and the only thing you need to do is have faith and believe. But now, at Mount Sinai, with Moses and the law, the conditions are different. It's no longer unconditional, but now the people of Israel have a part on their end. God gives all these commandments and says, if you do these things, then I will continue to be your God and bless you. If you follow these rules, you will be blessed. But if you do not, there will be consequence. This is something that maybe hits a little bit closer to what we understand as covenant, right? Expectation and accountability. Here's what the expectation is. Here's how the accountability works. And so this covenant, then, is, is conditional. Conditional on the Israelites performing their compliance to the rules and the commandments that are given by God to Moses. As that comes forward, then, it brings up a question. And it's a good question for us to ask, because the question makes sense. Why the change? All right? All right? we need to stop and hone in on that question a little bit. What is God doing here? How is it that God first goes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm making all these promises to you and all you got to do is believe. Faith and that's it. Then, 430 years later, God comes back to the descendants of Abraham and says, you know what? Promises are there, but now, conditions, expectations. Now, you have a part that you have to do. Why? Why does it change? Why does God change the arrangement and the conditions of the covenant when it comes along to the law in Moses? What's going on there? We ask that question, and in fact, uh, Paul asked the question in the passage here, too, right? So we don't have to look far for the answer because Paul asks in the passage we read today, why was the law given at all? Same thing we're asking here. And the the answer that Paul gives there maybe needs a little bit of unpacking. It was given because of transgression, Paul says. It was given because scripture says that everything is locked in sin. Again, these are things that need a little explanation. Uh, What does that mean? How does that make sense? Well, the law, when Moses receives the law and the people of Israel receive the law, there's an understanding here that the law is given to them as a way to constrain sin. Maybe that's the first thing we should note: That the law is a way to constrain sin. It doesn't stop it, but it at least holds something of a constraint upon it. Even though the law given to the people is able to constrain or hold back a level of sin, it does not provide a way out of sin. That's an important piece to note there. So the Israelites received the law through Moses, and they have that law as a way of being able to constrain sin, but it does not give them a way out of sin. Paul notes that in what he says here in Galatians 3, right? He says the law itself cannot impart life or bring righteousness. The law can't do that. He's bringing that up. Paul's bringing that up because when these Greek Christians who turn to God in faith and begin living in faith meet these Jewish Christians who start putting all these rules in front of them, that Paul is saying, but wait a minute. The rules don't bring you righteousness. The rules don't bring you life. The rules are not the thing that gets you where you need to be. Yeah, it constrains sin. But don't believe the lie that says you need to follow all these rules in order to be saved. Because that's not where the gospel is at. And it never was. It was never intended to be that way. That God, when he gave the law to Moses, never intended it to be a path to righteousness by which the people could be saved. In fact, the law was given in a way that shows just the opposite. The law shows just how much we still need to be saved, right? When we see the rules and regulations of the law, when we see all of the things that the Bible puts before us as the ways in which we ought to live, we walk away with that realizing, I can't do this perfectly. I mess it up all the time. I still need a Savior. The law shows me that because I know I can't keep it. I know I cannot keep it perfectly. It may constrain the sin that tempts and pulls at us, but it does not offer a way out of that sin. So the covenant comes through Moses and shows that. It shows the way in which the law itself cannot bring life that way. Paul then ties these two things together, right? He's taking these two ideas of covenant, a covenant that comes with Abraham and a covenant that comes also through the law, and he's pulling these two ideas together in this passage. How do these things connect, right? Where is this all going? And he uses a very particular word for that, seed. He talks about seed, that a law or a, a covenant was given to Abraham and to his seed, descendant. And Paul is pointing us there forward to Jesus saying, yeah, we don't say that it was given to seeds, all of them, but, but he's quoting a piece of scripture there which singles out one, one descendant of Abraham in particular through whom the promise of the covenant is connected. The covenant of Abraham the covenant of Moses, connected in Jesus. So the promise that God gives to Abraham is received by Abraham in faith. But it's received by Abraham in faith. Now through his descendant, Jesus is fulfilled in Christ. A covenant that is fulfilled. You see, because if the law of God serves as this this function that constrains sin then we would be slaves to that. But in Christ now, that's different. So the law still functions as something that constrains sin. But we live in a time now because of Christ, through faith in Christ, in which even though the law constrains sin, we are no longer slaves to it, the way they were before Christ. We are no longer enslaved to the law because we are no longer enslaved to sin. That's what Paul is getting at when he talks about in this passage about how Scripture says everything is locked up under sin. Without Christ, that is the only place you end up. Without Jesus, the law only locks you into slavery to sin. But because of Jesus, we have been freed from that enslavement that we have to sin. And we are free then to follow God in faith. So what Paul is saying here is that the original promise to Abraham is the one that supersedes. It's the one that came first. It's the one that carries forward. And it is Jesus who brings it forward. And it is Jesus who applies it because it is Jesus who perfectly keeps the law and fulfills the covenant of the law given to Moses. Jesus pulls all of this together. And what Paul is saying is that is where our covenant lands now. In Jesus. And it is by faith in Jesus just like with Abraham. It was faith in God that brings that covenant to us. And so we... Live in that promise. So what? Uh, What difference does it make? I've spent 20 minutes talking about covenants in this passage and how that goes forward. Uh, So you're going to walk out of here today, and what difference does that make, knowing covenants and how that works? All right. Let's do a little theology lesson, and I'll, I'll get to the point here. This is how this applies, okay? So we talk about three applications of that covenant as we saw it in this passage. Theologians think about this in two categories, okay? Stay with me on this. It will all come together, I hope. Two categories of covenant. One of the categories they talk about is the covenant of works. The covenant of works is a covenant which we see in Scripture where God gives commands to the people and then God provides for the shalom flourishing of his people, Theologians, when they talk about the covenant of works, they point all the way back to creation. The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. When God made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden, he made a covenant. A covenant. Expectation, accountability. God said to Adam and Eve, here's what I want you to do. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, meaning uh, cultivate it, develop it, care for it. It is under your dominion. God gave instructions to Adam and Eve. Eat the fruit of the trees. It's here for you, except one. Don't eat that one. Instructions there which established covenant. Expectation. Accountability. That is what theologians refer to as the beginning of what we consider as the covenant of works. This is what the people God created are meant to do. And when the people God created do that, here's what God will do. That if Adam and Eve live in that way and do what God told them to do, then God would provide for the shalom flourishing of the world. That the world would go the way God intended and designed it to go, flourishing as God created it to do within that covenant, that agreement, that arrangement. That is what the covenant of works is. That carries forward a bit. You can see a bit of that applied to the law with Moses, can't you? That when the law comes to Moses, there's this agreement that says, all right, people, here's what you are expected to do. And when you do that, God's part is to provide for the shalom flourishing of his people when that happens. Of course, we know and understand that by the time you get to Moses, there's sin. And because of sin, we can't do that perfectly. And because we can't do that perfectly, it can never bring us to that perfect fulfillment of the shalom flourishing that God intends. But the basis of the covenant of works is still there, that God gives commands to people, and in response to doing that, he provides shalom flourishing. Now, theologians also talk about what's called the covenant of grace, the covenant of grace swings all of the conditions upon God and God alone. That it is now Jesus who fulfills all of the commands and through Jesus then, God provides the shalom flourishing of his world. That God gives us unconditionally. That we now are people who live in that shalom flourishing of God because of faith that we have in Jesus. So, So the question today then, the the way that we take this forward is understanding all of this talk about covenants and what it means and how it applies, that all of these things are built in as conditions that God makes with his people in his world so that his shalom flourishing can take place. Paul writes elsewhere in one of his other letters, he writes in Romans 5, that since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus. Romans 5 1. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus. Peace. Peace is that biblical word that means shalom, flourishing. Through faith, through Jesus, we have been given the shalom, flourishing of God once again. It's evident. We still live in a broken world, so we know that we only see glimpses of it. We know that we are still on the way to the full recreation and the full renewal of God's world, but we see glimpses of it even now. Living then as covenant people then brings a question, a question that we bring out for today. So how can I, and who I am, how can I bring an expression of God's shalom flourishing into someone else's life this week? If, If there's a way to Walk away from all of this talk about covenant and what it means and how it applies in a way that makes a difference for what I do today, this week, and who I am. How can I live within that covenant? And when I live within that covenant, I'm looking I'm looking to see how is it that I can bring an expression of God's shalom flourishing to someone else today, this week, this month as God places those opportunities before you. May we be people then who give expression to the shalom flourishing of God. May we be people who live with that expectation that God brings his faith to life in us and in this world. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you that In your word, we see expressions of faith that come, that we see that in Abraham, that we see that in your people, that we are reminded of that through the Apostle Paul. And Lord, we pray then that you would continue to show those expressions of faith in our world. Use us, the people of your church, for that so that we may then give expression of your shalom flourishing in the world around us. We thank you for that. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. And now we get to respond with joyful singing. So Please join us.